I just feel like you should always tell your truth. I just feel like you should always speak up and say what you mean, how you how you feel. And some, most people are so non-confrontational. And I don't think you have to be confrontational to tell your truth. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. As always, it's an honor to, to be here with you. I am here with Asol Harris, who is the editor-in-chief and founder of Edition Magazine. We have a lot to talk about with him. Uh, but before that, if you're watching us here on YouTube, please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. We want to uh, make sure more people can know about Asol and all the great disruptors we've had on the show. If you're listening to us on Apple iTunes, please like us. Please hit a review. That's how more people can learn about what we're doing to help change the world, change constructs, and uh, make sure we can get all these inspiring stories out there. So we appreciate you as always. Uh, also want to make sure we give a shout out to uh, many of our, our sponsors, uh, Botten Logistics, uh, P&G Ventures, uh, as well as Fifth Third Bank and many others. We're thankful for your support. Definitely support these vendors. They've been supportive of us. So, uh, but for now, it's all Harris. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Uh, so I'm doing well. I, you know, I can't complain. It's uh uh, wrapping up the end of the year, it's been a very good year and, uh, you know, looking forward to 2022 and hope, hopefully we're not still talking about the coronavirus. <laughs> so no, exactly. Exactly. But you're right. Yeah. But 2021 has been a great year. I, it I has. Yeah, it has. So you've launched edition magazine, lots of other things. And I want to get to all of that and all the great work, uh, that, that you, that you're doing to support black creatives it means a lot to us here. We do a lot to support black creatives and anybody doing mm-hmm. that uh uh i'm i'm very happy about so but let's talk about how you even got into this business into this uh in, into edition magazine so how did you end up like envisioning edition magazine in terms of like what 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 was the thought process what was the vision that you that 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 you thought about and how was that coming so far as you as you kind of uh, as you just had your launch this year okay so um edition so if i'm backtrack just a little addition sure. i'm not actually the founder so okay. the so the publishers of modern luxury which is the largest publishing you're the uh, editor-in-chief yeah so let me say i'm the editor-in-chief right. exactly okay. i'm the editor-in-chief yeah so i didn't i was I'm the i upgraded you my bad yeah, i know i know right i know right <laughs> i just i just put it out there in your future you're gonna be founder of, of some other things in the future but go ahead Ab- absolutely i believe in manifestation so that's fine there you go yeah that's fine so yeah so they um the publishers of modern luxury the they have their largest chain of um, luxury magazines in the country and they had an idea to basically basically connect black people or people of color rather to the luxury space right and historically and traditionally black people and people of color have been disconnected from that space you know and they have been basically disillusioned right and um, from that so they came to me um i was i had just come back left atlanta um, was there for COVID, stayed and helped my parents and everything, and came back to New York um, because I'm working on some other projects. And they just called me out of the blue and they told me that they had this idea to do a magazine that blends luxury with, you know, with Black culture. And I was like, whoa, that's basically my career um, <laughs> in right. a nutshell. Um, you know, so I think everything that I've done so far has brought me to this point. Um, and it, it's not a coincidence, I think, that who I'm also working with at Rock Nation, who are partners in this, in this venture, um, Jenna Fleischman. I've known Jenna for, I guess, 20 years, you know, and we've worked together over the years. So 
just in working with people who I've known for so long, who've been supportive of my career, you know, this has been really great. But uh, I, I would like to know part of your journey with, uh, you sure. know, so you've been in fashion for a while, I guess, and uh, talk to me about a time when, you know, things didn't go according to plan, might've been a setback. Uh, and yeah. you now see that as an opportunity that, that actually made you better. Can you think about a time that that sticks out in your mind? Well, I don't think anything ever goes as planned. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell life is definitely not linear. Nothing goes according to plan, but let's say when no. it's something like a major setback, something that really yeah. didn't go according to plan. And you're like, okay, this is not how I envisioned it to happen. Well, I think my whole career is really that I, um, I went to grad school. I went to Morehouse, then I went to grad school at NYU. Oh, you're Morehouse. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so after grad school, I decided that I wanted to teach. You know, I've always wanted to teach. It wasn't like some kind of fallback career. I actually did want to have a teaching experience. And so I did that for two years. And while I was teaching, I quickly realized that this is not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, and so while my kids were sitting there, like, working, I would look out the window of my patio that was attached to the classroom. And I'm like, there's a whole world out there. Like, what am I doing? Like, you know, what am I going to do beyond this? And so I would complain to my parents all the time, you know. And one of my birthday, my 24th birthday came around, and I was complaining to my father. And my father said, he's basically was like, Esau, just stop it. What in the hell do you want to do? And I said, I want to write. And he was like, well, just write. And I said, well, it's not that easy, Dad. He said, it is, it is that easy. Go do it. And so, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like our parents would tell you, they don't allow you to get, get, uh, make that excuse. Like, no, it is. Exactly. So according to my dad, I can just go to buy a magazine and say, hey, give me the editor's job. But so I was in Atlanta at the time, and um, I was literally walking down the street, and I saw this newspaper. It's like one of those free weeklies, um, yeah. you know. And, um, and I picked it up, and I looked at the, the masthead, and, and I found the editor's name, and I called her. I called her out of the blue. And I just told her, you know, who I was, who was nobody, really. And so <laughs> I told her what I wanted to do, and she, um, she said, come down and talk to me. So I went and talked to her. And from that day on, I became her assistant. So I would teach from, like, 7 to 3, and then I would work at... It was, the paper was rolling out. That was, yeah. I started my career rolling out. Um, and I would work at rolling out from four to like two in the morning. And I did that for two years straight. And so after that, um, I had, they gave me the manager, the manager editor's position. I actually replaced her after two years. Wow. So that's, yeah, so that's how I got into, that's how I got into, you know, into entertainment. I started as an entertainment journalist. Yeah, I mean, there's so many lessons in what you just said, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, your father just told you to go out and do it. You saw an opportunity. And, and that opportunity wasn't like the most glorious thing. Being an assistant is hard, hard work, but you put everything into that. And I, I tell people this all the time, especially early on in their, in their career, that you value learning over money because if you learn and you put everything into it, the money will follow, especially if you're passionate about it, right? Because people think like, I have to be here. I have to be editor in chief right away because I have the talent. No, it's not how it works that way, right? I mean, it's, that's, that's, so, that's such a great point. And I have this conversation with people all the time about don't be married to titles. Like so many people are married to titles all the time. And I understand why, because, you know, especially as people of color, you do want to have respect. You know, you do want oh, to yeah. have that attached to it. You want your experience and your title to speak to your experience. And I get that. Right. But I would not be sitting here right now if I was married or attached to titles. You know, I've taken the job that got me back to New York that got me to become the editor-in-chief of Uptown. It was actually a demotion in a sense to, I guess, traditionally in traditional sense, because I was a managing editor at a magazine called 944, but 
when the opportunity came up for Uptown, it was for a senior editor. I had already been a senior editor maybe two or three years before that, but I saw beyond that. I saw this as, as a chance to get me to the media capital of the world again, you know, and then I knew I could go on from there. So I took it, you know, and people were like, why are you doing that? I said, because I have a plan, you know, and, and it worked, you know, within a year and a half, I was editor in chief of Uptown, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, people get into these paths, like they get caught up in titles and it's all, I think the other problem is people also get into what I call the golden handcuffs. You have a, mm -hmm. you have a job that you don't like, but it pays well and mm -hmm. you stay there and you think like, well, I need to have a job that pays just as good as this before I move on. And look, bills are there. Realities are there, but also I mean, your life is there. If you stay tied to something and have these golden handcuffs, you will have a whole lot of regrets 10, 15 years from now that you weren't able to, fulfill your purpose. That's, at least that's how I feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I see it all the time. And um, I have these conversations with friends, you know, some of, some of my friends from back in the day, they're no longer my friends, but they question my decisions. You know, they're like, why are you leaving like a secure job of teaching? You know, you have your summers off, like as if that's like, that's like, <laughs> that's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> summers off. I'm like, but now I think about it, had I listened to them, I would not have any of the experiences I've had. Like I literally have traveled the world, like like speaking out of their own fears yeah. and insecurity, right. I mean, exactly. whether they realize it or not, and these could be well-meaning friends and they could also be parents or loved ones. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. speaking out of their right. fear to take that leap. Right. And they're, I mean, secretly kind of like have a little bit of misunderstanding. Sometimes there's jealousy. I'm not, there's mm -hmm. levels to that. I'm not saying people are mm -hmm. going out hating on you, but I'm saying like, there's like, yeah. I wish I can be that person to take that leap. And if someone's taking that leap, they must not be thinking it through, or at least they say that in their mind to justify why they haven't taken that, why they haven't taken that leap, why they haven't uh, lived to their full purpose. And like, I tell people like, you can make every excuse you want to in the world, but you do not have to stay in a job. The world is really, really abundant. The world is more abundant than it's ever been. It's just your mindset and how you approach things. So, so my friend, really good friend of mine, Nakia, Nakia Hex, um, we always sit to each other. Whenever we start to talk about what we don't have or what doesn't exist, then we stop ourselves because we don't live in lack. Like you just, you cannot live in any kind of deficiency. Like we're not deficient in anything. Like nope. if you're rushing, stop, breathe. You have enough time to do what you're doing and to get where you're going, you know? Stop, breathe. Like you, don't have, a, you have enough time to make your deadlines, you know? But when yep. we start acting so frantic and so frenetic, that's when everything just crumbles, you know? And a lot of things just fall apart. Yeah, so you're absolutely no, right. I completely agree. That's good advice for me because we all get overwhelmed sometimes too. I feel that way. Like you're not going to be able to hit it. You got to just sit back, breathe when you get to that point and have yourself enough time to be able to see the whole, the vision exactly. and then step back. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's talk a little bit about addition. So you, mm -hmm. um, you're the editor in chief. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the vision for addition right now in the next five years? Like what is it that you want addition to be known for? So I was talking about this with our vice president of marketing, um, Eric, who's a really, really brilliant guy. So we share the same vision of, about addition. You know, um, originally, so I envision addition um, as a place where a platform where black or well, people of color, you know, can come together and really have the support and the resources, you know, to create and to be on the same playing field as their mainstream counterparts, you know, that have over time, you know? I feel like we've had, we've had great, like, Black publications, you know? In Ebony, Jet, we have Essence, Black Enterprise, um, all these great publications, but we all know that they have a certain set of problems that other mainstream 
publications do not have, you know? And I feel like that is something that we need to address. And I, and. So what do you think that is? But but you can get to that too, finish your point, but I want to know what you think those problems are. What do you mean? mean, Well, the main problem is, you know, everything comes down to money, right? Yeah. And so it's advertising, you know, and it's advertising and corporate America looking at certain magazines as not being luxury, you know, or black people not understanding luxury or our understanding of luxury being different than our white counterparts understanding of luxury. I've experienced this firsthand. I've, I've worked throughout my entire career. I've, I've worked at black publications. I've worked at you know, niche publications. I've worked at mainstream publications. I worked at one of the top art and architecture magazines in the world. And during my time there, I realized that, you know, I would talk to people in the sales department and they would ask for, oh, let's find someone to do like this spread. So I would find someone and then they would say, well, they're not really our aesthetic, you know? <laughs> And what would that aesthetic be, right? So it's, it's, it's things like that. It's like that coded language that's created to keep certain people outside of yeah. this world, you know? And I feel like addition is that- They're getting to define what luxury is and that, that luxury is a very narrow point of view. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So I feel like we want to give people the, the codes. We want to give people the tools to decipher all these things that have been working against you as a creative. All for all this time, you know? So I feel like addition is really that. So how will you, because I, I think one of the issues with um, some of our traditional publications, and they've done a lot of great work, obviously, but mm-hmm. I also believe that they don't innovate fast enough or fail to really innovate. I think it's mm-hmm. part of the issue, right? They want to, um, I mean, I've seen this with a lot of our legacy civil rights institutions, the NAACP, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Urban League, Urban League's a little bit better, but all of them tend to hold on to a very structured way of doing things exactly how they were done 50 years ago. And, you know, things move extremely fast, as you know, right now. So um, my question well, to you is how, how, how will addition innovate? You know, specifically, I have a question about Web3. I know you guys have done some stuff with, um, with, with Web3 and I actually do something in this space too. So we'll have to talk a little mm-hmm. bit offline about that. We had just a good, just so you know, we had the first uh, disrupt artist, the first black owned NFT marketplace in the world. Uh, that, Reg- yeah. Thank you. No, we're launched on flow, but I still have to say, what are you guys doing to, in this moment to innovate, to bring uh, all the opportunities we have in this current environment uh, to make sure that addition is really getting its brand out there and empowering creators. So definitely. So, with this being our very first issue, my vision was to have this magazine from cover to cover be a showcase and exhibition of Black talent. Yes. And I wanted, I, and the thing about it is we, we've seen certain magazines do this before, right? I think the most popular one has been um, Italian Bow uh, a few years ago when they had the Black, the black issue, which sold yeah. out four, four times on the newsstand. Um, so it was great. It was beautiful. They had all the top beautiful Black models in every page. Spreads were amazing. But the only thing was um, all of those black models were shot by two white men, you know? So in essence, they're just projecting the European standard of beauty onto black women, you know? And so what are we really saying about that? So my vision was to have every, every original photography that we have in this first issue, I wanted to be shot by a black person. I wanted mm. black people to be shot by black people. I wanted black people to speak to black people. I wanted black people to be interviewed by black people. Um, and I wanted to be really just be a showcase of that so we could have that. I mean, I think things like that are so important. I 
remember when I was the editor-in-chief of Uptown Magazine and Lupita Nyong'o was on the, she was yeah. on Broadway. Um, I think it was a play called Eclipse. And it was the first time that black women had starred, directed and produced on Broadway on one show, right? So it was a monumental event. So I put them on the cover. So my vision was, I remember the Essence magazine covers from back, like back in the day, like the 70s and 80s, you know, that they, they would show like this beautiful this array of black women, you know, they were brown, they were, they were black, they were light skinned, you know, all this. And so I wanted to show that with these women, you know, and, and that's what we did, you know, and I think oftentimes when you do have a vision, sometimes people want to interrupt that. And so even in trying to showcase that, the director of the play, um, who was a lovely woman, lovely, lovely, uh, she, they wanted her to be on the cover. And I said, well, I'm sorry, she can't really be on the cover because she's going to disrupt this, this image because image, image is everything. Image is the language that inspires the world, right? Absolutely. And, other, you know? and so she would have disrupted that inspiration, that, that aspiration, had she been on the cover. So I had to stand my ground. And people were really like, kind of like mad, you know, until it came out. Yeah. And then, and then it was celebrated, right? And so I yeah. think with- so I, I mean, that's how it works. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I almost say this just interrupt you very quickly. You know, it's when you know your why and you're rooted in it, it makes it much easier to really make decisions. So I, right. I tell this story all the time about Steve Jobs and the fact that, you know, they knew the why of Apple and the why of Apple had nothing to do with computing. It was about empowering the individual right. user. So when they came out with the iPhone that we all use now, it was like this radical design. And previous to that, the, the, the phone providers determined how the design went. I'm not sure if you knew that. Right. Hmm, so you'd have to you have to clear it with the AT&T's of the world, with oh. the Verizon wireless of the world in order for the, in order for your phone to be distributed, because that's how the right. phone got distributed. And so they came out with a design and they're like, what the hell is this? Like we don't. And nearly every single one rejected Apple, every single one, except mm -hmm. for AT&T. Now, the financially prudent decision at that time would have been to go with what all the uh, phone providers wanted, just right. like with you, the prudent advice maybe would have been to go with what some of these designers people want, because it probably seemed like, you know, it could, mm -hmm. it could cause a lot of backlash, but, you know, they knew what their why was and they stuck to it. And AT&T obviously became the first exclusive provider and the rest is history. But had they acquiesced to what the powers that be said, this is what you have to do, they would have never been Apple. That's the same thing with addition. So yeah, yeah. I, I am, I'm happy you stuck to your guns and it's hard to do sometimes, but it's easier to do that when you know your why and you're willing to fight for it. Yeah, it's, it's it's very hard. It's very hard, and I've been I've been in certain spaces um, throughout my career. Like even this year, I've had a chance to work with you know some major blue chip corporations um, on different projects, and and being in these rooms and and hearing these conversations, and you know coming up with ideas, and and people are receptive of these ideas, extremely excited about the ideas until it comes down to execute said ideas, and then they realize that they have oh we really have to do some work with this. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> huh. Okay, so no, and we don't get actually a get a chance to really control the narrative. It's like it's one thing to say they're good with it, but that a lot of times they're in a situation where they get to make mainstream gets to make the decisions while pretending to be inclusive. Like that's that, sure. that most of it. I tell I tell us people when people talk about diversity and, and inclusion, most of the times it's diversity and illusion. It's not real, right? It's like it's a, it's something that they're pretending to do yeah, to make themselves look good. It's so performative. It's so performative, and I, yeah. I think that some people. We don't even understand the, like you said, their why and how, and why inclusion is even important, you know? Yeah. And what it's important because is. it makes you, let's yeah. be clear, we're not in this, we are in it to make good and good impact, 
Right. But it also makes money. Right. Exactly. Period. Exactly. It's, <laughs> I mean, just good, it's just good business to include everybody. Yeah. And it yeah. makes more money because the world yeah. is more diverse than ever. You have a whole bunch of diverse clientele in Africa and Latin mm-hmm. America and in America mm-hmm. itself that still is uh, extremely underserved because you have people making the decisions that don't understand the culture, period. Exactly, right. exactly, exactly. And I've, I've experienced that it's like everywhere I go. You know, I shouldn't say unfortunately, um, I'm the kind of person that I have to, I have to stand up for whatever community, the two communities that I am firmly rooted in um, and in my own beliefs, I can't, I cannot sit still and not say something. Um, it's just not in me. I don't, you know, I don't have it. And you're so, a disruptor. That's why you're on the show, you so. I know. So, but you know, and it's so funny. Like, I never thought of myself as that, but I think about it like, you know, it started in high school. I remember in my history class, um, I think it was Black History Month, and my history teacher, she, I was the only Black kid in the class. I was one yeah, of five. I, I've been there, done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been through that experience. Yes, I understand yes. where you're coming from. Preet, go yes, ahead. So, so there, were only five, so there were only five Black kids and 418 kids, you know, out of my graduating class. So, Right. It wasn't that bad, but yeah, I hear you. I feel you. (laughs) 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 And so she's talking about Malcolm X. And she says, oh, Malcolm X was just a man, an angry black man who ran around with a machine gun. And he said, let's kill Whitey. And that that was was the lesson. She moved on on to the next subject. And And I looked around, literally. I was looking around like, I'm like, wow. And the kids didn't know any, they didn't know any different. Like, they don't know. They, why would they? They're, tr- they're trusting him, right, exactly. But she didn't know. I had just finished reading the autobiography of Malcolm X, you know? And so I just raised my hand and I'm like, excuse me. Um, I No, he didn't do that. And I said, you know, as Malcolm X, he never committed an act of violence. And he wasn't going around saying, let's kill Whitey. He was talking about self-defense, you know, and all these other things. Yeah. And, so, and so from that point on, I realized it's like, wow, you really can't distrust people to tell you the truth, you know? At, no, and that's why it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. This is why it's so, it's so, it's why it's so important what you're doing. Also what we do and things like that. Like our, our goal with, you know, Disruption Now and eventually with, mm-hmm. with Disrupt Art is to also be a multimedia company, but in a way to help shape narratives, right? And make sure we right. empower more people right. using the power of NFTs and Web3. Because if we don't shape the narrative, others shape the narrative and tell, and they don't tell, they, they tell a story like, not not tell the full truth or tell just outright right. lies mm-hmm. and it, it, it doesn't get challenged but we have more ability to challenge these narratives and we have a lot of work to do to uh mm-hmm. change these narratives that have been in place for the last 400 years but let's get yeah. busy yeah absolutely absolutely and i think one thing that i'm really excited about in addition is um you know i'm a, I'm a big history buff you know and with the entertainment there's a there's a lot of um like rich stories that have gone to the grave with certain artists and so, you know and I, and I love extracting those stories and making connections to like today and so we're doing that a lot in addition you know bringing up stories that don't necessarily have anything to do with right now you know but mm. people may not think so but we find the connection between the two you know and so that's really exciting that's awesome yeah all right well i want to ask you some uh some uh some of the the, the rapid fire questions that i mm-hmm. love to ask people here so uh some of these are tougher questions so Okay. Uh, so here's one. Uh, what's a, what's a, what's a conviction or a truth you have that many people disagree with you on? Um, <laughs> um told you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, well, I'm going to say, and I don't really think it's a big deal, but people do. I just feel like you should always tell your truth. I just feel like you should always speak up and say what you mean, how you, how you feel. And 
most people are so non-confrontational. And I don't think you have to be confrontational to tell your truth, you know? I've learned it the hard way. I've been confrontational and not really have done it the diplomatic way, you know? Um, So I've learned over time how to stay within the professional realms and still speak my truth. Do I still slip up? Sure I do, I'm human, you know? But but I I just cannot like tell my truth. So it gets me in, I guess, trouble sometimes, but, but I feel like, like it's like John Lewis said that sometimes you need some good trouble. Right. And I feel like, I feel like it's never, it hasn't stopped me. You know, I feel like I've, I've worked in this industry for 20 years, like nonstop without interruption. So, you know, here I am. I think it's more important for people to respect you than like you. That's that kind of Malcolm X point of view anyway, because, yeah. you know, what can you really do with like people like you? What does that mean? Like if people respect you, uh, they know there are certain lines they, they shouldn't cross. They know they, they know they need to do business with you like they do everyone else. And you cannot like me. I don't give a shit. Like it, it's yeah. you don't have to like me. It doesn't mean I'm going to be unprofessional. It just means that you're going to know what the lines are, and you're going to. Res- I'm going to respect you, exactly. and you're going to respect me. Exactly. If we're going to have a relationship, and sure. you know, I believe that uh, those who are willing to have it's it's not being uh, confrontational. And sometimes people think that when black people are asserting their beliefs right. and their rights or their positions, like everyone else does that makes us controversial. No, that just makes us understand our value and be willing to fight for our value. And those who are willing to be uncomfortable will have the most impact in the world. Those who are willing to have uncomfortable conversations will move forward because you can't, you can't be comfortable and grow. These are like diametrically opposed forces. I say that all the time. There, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in a luxury space, but there is no, there's no growth and leisure there's no growth in like let's sure. you have to there has to be some kind of discomfort you know um, yeah. and and i had this conversation with our our wonderful editor um our, our editorial director phoebe i was saying you know for us to do this magazine correctly and and wish me and the managing editor that's our intention of course but there will be times when it's uncomfortable sure. because race does come into play because we are dealing with a certain culture our cultures right and yeah. so you have uncomfortable conversations. So, you know, we have to be ready for that, prepare for that. But you also mentioned knowing our worth. That's so important. And I tell my, I tell younger people this all the time, never be afraid to ask for what you want, for what you are worth. Never be afraid. Mm. We've been taught for so long to not to talk about money, to not talk about, it's, it's, it's um, inappropriate, you know, um, but it is not. No, it's not. It's not at all. It is not at all. So, always ask what you want, you know? And I tell people, you might not get it, but most of the time you will. You just never know. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not, at least you know where you stand, right? right? You know where you stand so you know, okay, do I need to, you know, there's there's always two, when you're in a situation that you don't like, you only have two options, really. You can give voice right. to how you feel, which right. is standing up for yourself, or you can leave. There really is no other option, right? The other options are to just deal with it and but that doesn't resolve anything. If you want to have an option to resolve to to resolve it one way or another, you give voice to it or you leave the situation. Absolutely. Only two options you got, right? So like, at least if you're giving voice to it, you're giving an opportunity to improve it. This goes for business relationships, life. I mean, I I, I am very open and I, I, I encourage all of my uh, workers, people, folks that work with me. Like we have mm-hmm. uncomfortable conversations. I I encourage them to challenge me because I never want to be in a situation where, uh, you know, the emperor has no clothes and we're doing something stupid because people are not, people feel like they can't speak up. Like that's not right. the culture that that's a culture that, 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 that actually destroys innovation rather than creating. Right. 
right? So my, fa- my father always told me, my father was one of the first black marketing managers at IBM in the 80s. And um, so he always told me, as far as being a manager, as far as managing or leading people, if you are the smartest person in that group, then there's a problem. Because mm-hmm. you're not, you're not going to innovate. You're not going to grow. Nope. You, can't be, you can't be the smartest person in your group. You have to mm-hmm. hire people who know things you don't know. I mean, the, otherwise, why do you have them? If you know everything, why don't you do it all? <laughs> I mean, like, that's just... Exactly. exactly right. All yeah. right. Uh, next question. You have a committee of three living or dead uh, to advise you on business or life or whatever you want. Who are these three people and why? <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. I would have one about have Bayard Rustin. Um, okay. Another, That's a great one. Bayard Rustin was an advisor to, um, to Martin, Martin Luther King. King. And he also, was, he also was the architect of the, the March on Washington, which people don't know. Yep. But he was pushed to the back for the most part because he was openly because he was gay. gay. Yep. Yeah, he's gay. So um, for someone like that to live their truth in, in, a, in that kind of climate, he was a communist as well. So he was an openly gay black man who was a communist. You know, He's talking about a disruptor. Woo! Right, exactly. <laughs> in, in, the, exactly. in the 50s yeah. and 60s? Right. Exactly, exactly. I'm always, I'm always I'm moved by people who are like that, who, yeah. who are, is so counterintuitive to the times they're living in. Um, so definitely Bayard Rustin. Yeah, he has um, a, while you're on that, Bernard Rustin has one of the favorite, my, one of my favorite quotes when he was talking to Dr. Martin Luther King. A lot of people don't know mm-hmm. this. Dr. King was looking at a mountain and and um, and Dr. King said, like, wow, it looks so close. And 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 I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but he said, you know, uh, don't, don't mistake a vision for, uh, a, don't, don't, mis- don't mistake the vision for a small distance. Like it is mm-hmm. close. It looks close, but the but the but the path to get there is a long way. So never mistake your vision for a small distance. Like those aren't right. the same thing. So I, I always he was very very profound. And so yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Are right, you other two? Yeah. Um, Lorraine Hansberry. Okay. Playwright. Um, she was another disruptor. I mean, I think people only know her for Raising in the Sun, but she was so just she was like a firebrand behind the scenes, and she stood up to Bobby Kennedy in his office and told him to basically you know beat it, you know. Oh, um, yes. I remember. I know you're talking <laughs> about now. Yes. Yep. Yes. You know, and for her to be a black woman like that in the 60s, you know, at that time. So um, to tell Bobby Kennedy, definitely. you could go to hell. Yeah, no. Exactly. Right. Because he, want, he wanted them to basically just go and tell black people that, you know, uh, everything's good. To, yeah. To pacify them. Right. Yeah. And so she said, I'm not doing that. You know, and also in her, when she was dying of cancer, um, she knew that there was a ceremony for children, for young black children. And they were being awarded for their, um, I think, the grades or stuff like that, you know. And so she got up, even though she was sick, she got up and she went and spoke to them. And that's when she coined that term, you know, I'm here because you all are young, gifted, and Black. And you don't know now, but that's going to take you far. And that's why you're so special, you know. And so that's why, you know, someone like that is just, you know, she's amazing. All right, your third. And my third, oh. Hmm. I think... um, it could be. It could be living. It could be anybody you want. Oh, I think um, definitely Harry Belafonte. Okay. Oh yeah, Harry Belafonte. Yeah. Harry Belafonte. I mean, I mean, I think out of all the entertainers, um, I think he probably the one who has always put his money where his mouth is. That he's never been one to shy away from any kind of conflict. You know, when Lena Horne could not get a, uh, an apartment in New York, he bought the building and gave her an apartment. You know. Hey, see, <laughs> there you go. That's my man. <laughs> I mean, yep. That's how I want us to be, right? I got to the point because right. you got to this point earlier about us thinking about money, like money is bad, or if you're pursuing mm-hmm. money, then you have to be a bad person. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things, one of the statements that are underlooked by Dr. King is he actually addressed this 
I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to butcher this again. But he talked about love and power. And he said, you know, power without love is reckless and abusive. Love without power is sentimental and, and, and anemic. We need both. Like we've gotten to this place where we think like you don't have power and love. It's that you get power and love. You bring those two together, which means that like you can have all the great ideas you want to. If you don't have any money or resources or network to move it, it doesn't matter. A dream without traction is just a dream. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's the way relationships, uh, relationships are the, it's such the golden currency and, and people don't realize this. But I think people, I guess back in the day maybe, um, because I know for myself, I'm so lucky that um, I was able to build like really strong relationships early on in my career. Yep. And I'm actually still bidding for them now. You know? Relationships are everything. Relationships are. are the currency. They really yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to have those strong relationships in order to, like you said, get your ideas off the ground. Absolutely. You do. Absolutely. Because people aren't people aren't buying that into the idea. They're buying into you. That's what people don't understand. Like it, it yeah. comes to the people don't people don't follow causes. Even people follow people. People. And then sometimes those causes end up taking on a life that are bigger than those people. Right. But it's the it's the it, people initially follow people. We are humans. We are tr- more tribal than we like to understand that we are. So mm-hmm. people follow people. And so it, it, it matters mm-hmm. your relationships, your network and what you stand for. I mean, it, it eventually yeah. plays out over time. Yeah, absolutely. We, absolutely. Yeah. We've never been in a time, I would say, is so that where it's I think the benefit and the challenge is that we have such a permanent record of what everybody has done and said that mm-hmm. there's this opportunity obviously to create a brand i think it's also the dark side of that is there's a not a lot of opportunity to provide enough grace for people to you know be able to move forward because people have made all types of mistakes you think about the leaders we've had i mean think about the dr kings and many other people that malcolm x's that had mm-hmm. you know like all of us had some challenge past yeah, past right. some more yeah. than others right but would they be able to move forward in the environment we have because yeah, everything yeah. is so documented? I mean, it's both a benefit and it's also a challenge. That's just my opinion. Yeah, and and things are so, things are judged so quickly before exactly. we know anything about anything. And I'm I don't know. It's, I think it's controversial, you know, to some people. But I'm able to separate like the art from the person. I mean, I don't know. How I am too. About that, you know, I I just feel like it's a shame that certain things have been basically kind of almost buried because of the person who created it, you know? And I just feel like even though that art has helped generations of people, you know, but now that person is no longer considered to be a good that's person. That's your real point. That you know? was your, yeah. that's your, that, that's your conviction that few people yeah. agree with you on. That's a better answer to me. That's yeah. the answer that people should be divorced. We shouldn't necessarily connect the art with the person or divorce the art just because the person isn't has flaws. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the person is just a vessel. You know, they're a vessel. We're all, we, we all, like you said, we're all human, right? And yep. I don't think, personally, I don't really, I think the whole notion of just this binary thinking that people are so, like, obsessed with, yeah, it's either this or that. When the world is not even that. The world no. is in here, you know? And no person is, is all good or all bad, you no. know? I'm working, on a, um, I'm working on a documentary now, and so I found, it's a fashion documentary, but I found, one of the people that I've always idolized in research, I found some really ugly things about them, yeah. you know? And, I, and I was like, oh, wow. But then I started to think the same empathy that we ask people for, we have to give empathy as well, right? And yeah. so you, then you, you have to sit back and, re- and think about, why does she do that? Because yeah. that doesn't seem like her character. And then you research and see she was under the same pressures as everyone else. And so she had to do some things in order to keep her job and her, you know, her livelihood, right. unfortunately. Doesn't make it right, 
But at least you understand where it's coming from. At least you understand where it's coming from. And I just think that we don't give people that kind of nuanced thinking or anything. You know, everything is either this or that. And if it's not this, then it's canceled. You know, it's... uh, yeah, social media, in particular Twitter, uh, yeah. nuance is lost. Like people make one point and then they just go and it's like, it's very binary. Evil, good, yeah, uh, great, horrible. Like it's like we, uh, you know, because we react because we're emotional, we, we react that way. I've worked personally because I've done that before in the past too, but I've worked mm-hmm. now, I work very hard to not have those reactions to be and really try to step back from my, from my instincts and my emotions to react that way, because we are human, we react that way. Mm-hmm. And I believe that social media has a lot of great things. Like we probably wouldn't, wouldn't have met without social media, right? We wouldn't yeah. have this show and anything else like that. Absolutely. But at the same time, every tool should be used accordingly. <laughs> and we have yeah. to put it in its place and understand yeah. that some, some of these things, particularly the news and how the news is used in media is toxic to the brain. You know, the News and, and these and these clickbaits are sometimes toxic to the brain, just like sugar is to the body. We mm-hmm. have to just be very cognizant of how we take it in and how we absorb it. Lots of good sides to it, but I do think we need to be aware. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to be aware. Again, you talked about earlier stepping back and breathing. I think that's very important when we do social media yep. too, and really and really think Absolutely. before we tweet, think before we react. Um, because just because Absolutely. it's instant, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Exactly, exactly. And just the whole notion of breathing and stepping back and, and allowing things to breathe, that's one of the things that I really am proud of with this first edition of edition. <laughs> um, the, the very first story is with, it's a section that I created called Witness. And I just envision talking to people who their art is really just an exhibition of their truth and them standing in their truth, you know, it's kind of unapologetic, you know? And so the first person is Micheline Thomas, the, um, the famous visual artist and photographer. And so we have Xavier, Xavier Simmons, who's also, a, she's a professor and a visual artist. They have this amazing conversation. And at the beginning of the conversations, two black women talking who were huge in their fields. The first thing Xavier asked Micheline, so you live a life of beauty. You create beauty, you wake up around beauty, you and your partner are beautiful. How does it feel to be in a world that you help construct and it's all about beauty? Mm. And, when, and I couldn't get past that first question. It kind of knocked me out because I'm like, wow, how often do you hear or have the opportunity for two black women to talk about being in a culture of beauty? And how does that, it's usually something, a conversation that's attached to struggle, you know? Amen, and, yeah, it, you know, you're right. You know, and so I feel like, we're giving this opportunity, but we do live in these spaces and we do, and we are creating these spaces, but they're not often shown because it's not convenient for other people who have other agendas. But with addition, that story is like, I think it's like seven pages, you know, and it, and it just opens it. up and it just breathes, you know, and I feel like having those kind of conversations um, is a really, it's really important. I agree. I mean, I, I, we obviously have had the struggle conversation. We'll continue to have mm-hmm. it. But it can also be, sometimes you need a release. Like we, everything doesn't need to necessarily be about a struggle. It's nice to also hear about beauty. It's nice to hear like we, we're multidimensional. It's not, we're not just focused on the oppression and the, and, the, and the struggles. They're there. We talk about them. But sometimes it's therapeutic to talk about the great things that are going on, the beauty. I love it. I mean, I think that's a really great point that you made there. Uh, I love yeah. that point. So final question as we wrap up here. Um, sure. What is a theme or saying that would signify your life and why is that it could be like a, your billboard ad you're saying what is that 
This is really, this is really easy. It's so funny. Um, so uh, about 20 years ago, I bought this coffee table book by Gianni Versace. Yeah. And it's a quote from him. And he said, the important thing is to go. Period. That was it. And that always stood out to me. And as I got older, I realized why it's so important because it, it really is just that. It's like, we used to, another term for it, we say you need to show up, right? It's just like, yep. you, the important thing is to go. You don't have to have everything figured out. You don't have to have everything perfect. You don't have to have everything in your arsenal. But if you know that this is going on, just go. I, just guarantee, go. I guarantee you it'll all work out better than you ever imagined. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So um, as we conclude, so how do people learn about Edition Magazine, what's, what, what's, what's coming next? How can, we, how can we support? So you can go to editionml.com. That's our website. And we'll put that also, in the link. Yep. Okay. And also there, you can see the entire magazine in its digital form, you know, so you can go and check, check it out. And let us know what you think. And then our next issue will be, we're calling it our next wave issue. So it's all about people who are doing something that's next gen, that's doing something that is innovative, that's doing something that, you know, no one's ever done or they're doing it in a different way, you know? People who are just not even younger, it's young, it's old, it's everyone, no, no matter the age, people who are doing really fantastic things in this space. That's awesome. We look forward to it. Soul Harris, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank and you. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you.